winter. Hello and welcome to the 15th of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel. I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. If you're listening to this as it comes out in early January 2019, a very good new year to you. Blaine of Aoud. In this episode, I talk with Sandy Brunton of Finnefort. Sandy talked to me over Skype from his home in the Ross of Mull in the middle of December. I've known Sandy and his wife Jane for a number of years, so it was great to get a chance to chat to him about his life and family history. We talked about how his family lived and worked in Mull in the past, his training as a boat builder on the Clyde, and we get into some detail about the process of salmon netting, which has answered a lot of questions for me about how it was actually done. We also talk about his work as a shopkeeper and postmaster in the ferry shop in Finnefort and his role in community development organisations. Towards the end of the podcast, we talk about his work with the Coast Guard, and I enthuse about how it sounds like a boy's own adventure, as a sombre thought hits Sandy, and he remembers that it's 20 years to the day, as we spoke, since the Iona tragedy, which marked the communities of Iona and Mull in such a profound way. I was in two minds about whether to keep this section in the episode or not, but I feel it's such a significant event that it should be marked with respect. I'm so pleased to have talked to Sandy as I really want to try and speak to more people in the Ross and Iona, but time and distance often keep me up in the north end of the island. If you have time and you're so inclined, I'm running a short online survey that I'll keep up until the first week of February to find out a little bit about how you engage with what we do in the winter. You can find a link to it in the text along with this podcast file, or on our website, or on social media. I'm looking to build more of an audience for the podcast, and I'd like to know how you interact with it at present to allow me to understand how to grow it. This week's episode is brought to you by the kind sponsorship of www.islandholidaycottages.com. Island Holiday Cottages started business in 1999 with just a couple of properties, and now has a choice of 140 and is still expanding. Island Holiday Cottages has three local employees who have a wide knowledge of the island and who are on hand to answer all the questions that holidaymakers may have. They offer a friendly, approachable service and can accommodate any party size and need, north or south of the island. Remote, in town or by the sea, there's a place to suit you, whether you have a dog, would like a garden or a log burner. Although the majority of their properties are on Mull, they also have places to rent on Isla, Jura and Arnamarachan. I'll be back at the end of the podcast with some more waffle. If you're curious about any of the subjects we talk about, please feel free to visit our website at whatwedointhewinter.com to find links that will allow you to investigate that a little bit further. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Sandy Bronson. Can I ask, who are you? Well, uh, my name's Sandy Brunton, and I stay in Finnefort on the Isle of Mull. Fantastic. And how long have you been in Finnefort for? Well, um, I suppose uh, in this house here, we've been yes. here since 1988, believe it or not. Goodness so me. So been in this house for 30 years. Before that, we were... Uh, <laughs> in different caravans and winter lets for two or three years uh, after we got the shop, bought the shop in Finnefort. Ah, that, that's the, the the story of so many people, you know, moving from winter let to caravan as well. So you actually bought the shop and that we're still living in caravans whilst you were running the shop as well? Yeah, there was a, 
Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. We, we were in Southampton. Uh, All right. And uh, we were trying to figure out a way of getting back to Mull and uh, to raise a family, actually, yes. and to sustain ourselves and to be part of our family uh, that were here particularly. Yes. And so we, we, we bought the shop uh, from the bank, really, because it was redundant and, and, and in very serious disrepair. And yeah. uh, there was a caravan uh, at the back of the shop, so, and it was falling to bits. So we bought another <laughs> caravan, uh, which people did then. Uh, yes. And we lived in that caravan on and off for three years until we managed to buy the house. Goodness me. And did your kids come along whilst you were in the caravan at all, by any chance? <laughs> uh, we had, there was one, there was one child, uh, very early, early parts in the caravan. Yes, there was. Goodness me. Ah, it's quite something. So um, you talk about, uh, you've got the coming back to family here. Where do your family come from on, on Muller? What's their roots? <laughs> the, there's a whole yeah. sequence of, of um, family connections because people had big families. Uh, yes. My mother was one of eight kids, I think it was. Goodness uh, me. Um, and so the, 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 there were big families and, and they moved about a lot, but they, they often didn't move very far. So there were a lot of, a lot of traffic went by boat. So my, yes. my, my granny and grandpa actually, uh, came from Kerala to Mull by boat uh, right. with two or three of their kids. But there were were a whole batch of other family members that had been on Mull beforehand. And I think my great-grandfather was from Mull. And, mm. but, but Kerala to, to Karsig was, you know, morning's trip kind of thing. Yeah. Rather than rather than the big job it would be nowadays with the removal vans because people didn't have much stuff, no. so they went by horse and cart or boat. So that there there's MacPhail family, there's McInnes family, and uh, we've got records of one uh, great 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 grandfather actually being born on Alva, a McInnes. Oh, wow. Cool. There's another uh, connection. That's, that had the, the the rent of one of the holdings on Iona donkeys years ago. Gosh. Um, there were a number of folk that were born round about uh, the Penigale, actually, and Kinloch. Oh, yeah. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and it was quite funny because that was where my mother ended up. Uh, the last teaching job that she had was at Penigale. Goodness so, me. And they're all all round about, really. And there's just such a lot of it. And I, I don't confess to to know an awful lot about it, but I do know that it, there's it's a very strong pool. It felt very very strong for me, anyway. Um, and I was very very um, happy that Jane felt that she could support me in coming back to Mull. She felt that pull as as I had. She was from Helensborough, which although it's still yeah. Argyle, um, uh, she she didn't seem to hesitate to want to come back to Mull. 
I don't blame her. Have you been to Helensburgh? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lived in Helensburgh. Did yeah. you? Really? I, I lived in Helensburgh and all round the Gearloch because when oh, I really. when I left school, I went to be a, a boat builder. I trained as a boat builder. Goodness me. And so I, I was in Clinder and Rosneath and Gearlochhead and Helensburgh. That's and funny. I was just reading about a boat building yard in Rosneath this very morning. That's very funny. Gosh. So the, there was one yard in Rosneath which was Silvers, and the yard that I worked, or the company that I worked for, had a, a, a yard at Clinder, and then they also bought what was the the the, the place where they mothballed uh, a lot of the the smaller inshore minesweepers from oh, the wow. Second World War. So Gosh. there was... There was, uh, yeah, I was around there, and and the flat that I, the last flat that I lived in uh, was just directly above Dino's. It was fantastic, actually. Oh, excellent! Because yeah. we're right close to ice cream and mm. chippy and everything else, and and uh, then you could see the the Waverley coming straight into Helensburgh Pier. So Helensburgh was quite good, actually. I like Helensburgh. I think it's a town that uh, it's got quite a lot of ambition at the moment as well, which is fantastic. Um, I'm only saying that because I'm from Dunoon originally, and uh, you know that rivalry. But yeah, there's um, the the quality of food on, available in uh, Helensburgh at the moment yeah. is absolutely superb. There's a there's a lot of really nice aspirational stuff going on, and it's and it's also a, just what a fantastic location. That's one of the things when you um, live in Dunoon as you don't get to see the nice view over the top of Dunoon but there in Helensburgh looking around to Rosneath and all that sort of peninsula there it's just oh stunning and all down the way you know sort of off down the Clyde as well and oh no it's a, a lovely part of the world really beautiful. Spent a lot of winter weekends in Sandbank as well in Robertson's Yard. Robertson's uh, Yard goodness. I was involved with what was then called the Ocean Youth Club I think it's now called the Ocean Youth Trust. So I went off and did quite a bit of sailing, and the the boat, the Taiku, which was a seventy foot. Yes, I haven't heard that yacht. name in years. Gosh. <laughs> so she she would spend the winter time in in Sandbank, and yeah. they would look for volunteers with appropriate skills to go and help refit the boat. So quite often I would end up in Sandbank at the weekend in the winter time. My grandfather was involved in uh, boats as well. He um, started off uh, in Port Henderson up in Gearloch Way and was uh, worked uh, on fishing boats and all sorts of things and uh, was involved in the North Atlantic Crossing as well, the, the, the convoys during the Second World War and then was on various different boats. And, and one of my prized possessions is a, a picture of the Vidura, a, a, a yacht that was involved in the Fastnet race. Uh, that's up on our wall here from my grandfather that he was on for, uh, for a number of years. He was also on, on board the King Duck as well. So... Uh, west goodness. coast, west coast and yachting is it's a it's a long, long history, isn't it? it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we there's uh, on that very uh, disastrous fast night race where so so many folk died. Actually, yeah. Uh, I was with Jane's family sailing back from France just at that time. Uh, we we were trying to beat that weather. As it was coming across, and the Good. the we managed to get into Pool Harbour. I think it was 1979. Yeah. But there was a boat that I had been involved building uh, in McGrewers that was on that fast net 
race called the Ariadne. Oh, yeah. And uh, if I remember, it was a what's class as a three-quarter tonner. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 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 people, the crew, the boat got dismasted, and the crew uh, abandoned the boat. And most of them actually didn't survive, but the oh, boat God. did survive, and the boat was left uh, without crew, but without a mast as well. And the conditions must have been just dreadful. Mm. It doesn't bear thinking about. It. And as so, as a young man, were you able to go on board these mothballed uh, minesweepers and sort of wander around? <laughs> yes, um, there was there was a number of them still on in the in the Rosneath yard. Uh, the Rosneath yard had a big uh, pull-out facility. So I started off as an apprentice in the Clinder yard with the McGrewers there, mm-hmm. and uh, I would then. Go to college in 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 Greenock for yes. sort of two or three weeks at a time over on the Kilcreggan ferry, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, so I, I started off staying in digs in Clinder, and mm. then after after that uh, was sharing flats and houses and different stuff round about. But in the some of the work that we did was refit work, some of it was building new, uh, and some of it was. Uh, working on actually we had at that time we were doing contracts for uh, lifeboats and oh. mod boats and big huge yachts we had one big big uh, yacht called bill Aventure mm-hmm. uh, get in for a refit and i actually managed to get um after i'd finished my time I, technically then you're a, a, a tradesman um, yes and the the yard didn't always have the the they didn't always have to keep the the tradesmen on uh, after the apprenticeship at that time anyway but I I did quite well during my college and during my time and yeah. I was um, I got got my city and guilds ticket well really? and truly so they were quite keen to keep me yeah but of course. But the the Bell Venture um, were looking for one crew member, and this is a, a ninety foot uh, yacht that was designed and built by Fife of Fairley uh-huh. in the nineteen thirties, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I managed to get a job, a job uh, paid crew for nearly a year on that yacht, uh, and it was to oh, be com- completing the. Uh, completing the refit, doing the varnishing, which was mm-hmm. meant to have been done in the warmer climb. So we we tried to sail it first of what, all. What, to Largs? Uh, no, <laughs> it was to the Canaries. Oh, very nice. Lovely. So we spent a long time. Well, the first, the first voyage didn't work out because uh, we got hit by quite bad, bad weather. Right, okay. And damaged the boat, so the boat had to get fixed. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> the speed of the wind actually broke the little anemometer at the top of the mast, so... Oh, gosh, that's huge. <laughs> yeah. Aye. So, you're a trained boat builder. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. And uh, did you ever help out Nigel at all when he had the yard? <laughs> no. Um, when I was just a young person, uh, mm-hmm. the the idea was that well, my father was a joiner, 
a, a trained joiner uh, yes. from Lanarkshire. And my grandfather and uncles and my father then was doing salmon fishing. So it right. was a, a kind of a natural kind of thing for me to go and to do things with boats, but to yes. be practical about it. So I, yeah. I, I knew that I was going to go and be a boat builder um, when I was at school. I, that was what I was going to do. And I was very lucky to be able to be in that place because not, you know, an awful yeah. lot of folk don't know what they're going to do. Well, so, so I, I knew that was going to happen. Um, so the the plan at that time, or the aspiration, was to come back to Mull to set up a boatyard. But ah. in between, in between training, and I then went to college in Southampton to do more. It was actually a boatyard management course in Southampton, right. and then worked in different boatyards down there. In between that time, Nigel had come and set up the boatyard at Bendoran. Oh, so. the rotter. Oh, <laughs> man. He'd been a big fan of Howard's Way, though. I can understand that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, extraordinary. So did you meet Jane in Southampton? Where did you meet Jane? Uh, we met uh, such a long time ago on... Uh, Tallship Crossing uh, on the Taiku, actually. Goodness. Uh, going from, I think it was Breitling Sea to Norway. Um, That's a bit brilliant. <laughs> so it was just, it was a sheer fluke that, that I was in Helensburgh and she was from Hel or she was from Rue. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, so it, we didn't didn't know each other at, at all, but we met on that uh, North Sea Crossing. Gosh, that was uh, that's quite something. <laughs> so her her father had been sailing, involved with sailing from uh, being quite a young man. So all of their family had been sailing for a long, long time, and I had done quite a bit from. Actually, started off in, in Oban High School. Uh huh. So uh, in the winter time, this is about what you do in the winter. So in the winter yes. time, <laughs> the. As, as kids, we would be, st we stayed in the hostel uh, at Kilbawi. So I, I suppose it would be to try and keep folk occupied. Yeah. There, we would be building or fixing dinghies. So there was a fleet of mirror dinghies and a fleet oh, of wayfarers. Great. And there was a, a bunch of old canvas canoes as well. Yeah. And in the winter time, we would we would be inclined to fix them. Yes. And then in the summertime, we would go and sail them. So and started off dinghy sailing. Yep, exactly. Going over to Kerala. Yeah. So your folks who come across from Kerala, they came to Karsig. Where did they stay at Karsig? Because that's a very very limited amount of space, really, at Karsig. And what did they do? My great grandfather, I think, mm -hmm. was the ferryman on Kerala ferry. Mm -hmm. And I think then it, my my grandpa was doing that there, mm -hmm. and his wife, my granny, I think was the at that time it was usual that the postmistress would be the wife of the ferryman, mm -hmm. so she was operating Kerala Post Office at that time, mm -hmm. and they he had been in the in the Argyles in the First World War. He'd been a, a s cycling sniper. Oh, um, what a terrifying job. Yeah. 
Yep. Oosh. In a kilt in the mud. Oh, goodness. He he was from a big family too, so there's a whole bunch of them that were involved with the war. There was one a separate story, but one of his his younger brother uh, uh, went to Canada from being some kind of job in an office. I've not quite figured that bit out yet, but at 17 he was he was quite smart and. At, at that time, not everybody got to go to high school because you couldn't afford for children to do that. No. But he went to high school from Kerala, the younger brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my grandfather also went to high school, but the younger brother got a job in an office. Mm-hmm. And he he responded to some kind of advert about going to Canada in 19... I think it was 1911 or something like that. Right. So my grandfather escorted him down being the big brother to the <laughs> to the ship uh, going going from Bristol oh uh, gosh to Canada and he ended up being a bank manager in in Canada in Lake Winnipeg area and oh. it was quite quite tragic of course because yeah. he with tens of thousands of other expats uh, signed up with the Canadian expeditionary forces and came back in to fight for yes. the home country, um, he 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 was he was in a in a job that he he didn't need to do that. He volunteered and he he, he got killed in the, in the mud in France, I think God. it was. And there was I think there was another of my grandfather's brothers similarly. Yeah, it, it was and he survived. Um, but but he was a he he was. From where they were, they were they were familiar with shooting, whether it was deer legally or illegally or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. So he was a he was a sniper, God. and he was a, and he had a, I mean, that was a, a big job in itself. But he was yeah. sent out in advance with the bike. Uh, there was a they had they had push bikes and they Gosh. would cycle through the mud oh. to be ahead of. Uh, the advancing troops so that they would set themselves up and check things out. Goodness. That's that's a grim image, isn't it? It it sounds a very exposed job as well, just, you know, on your bike with your rifle over your shoulder. Gee whiz. So he came with my my granny to what's called Pier Cottage, which is is as you go down to Carsick, it's on the Lochbui side. Okay, Uh, And I think... I think they travelled by boat, and I think they had very little furniture uh, or or chattels. Yes, um, yeah. I think they had two boats, and they had three. Three of their children were born at that time, and he had the lease of the salmon fishing at Carsig. Uh I think the family had been salmon fishing uh, all round about. Kerala uh, and further south, right? As okay. well. And so can you was, describe salmon fishing in those days? It, what what was the process of salmon fishing? We've talked about it with other people, but I'd like to hear kind of how you know how if do you did you experience it as a child as well? Obviously, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I worked with my dad um, actually for a whole summer season uh, as as the the main helper and. I was always involved in that as a as a child up to that time. Um, How did it the, work? Yeah. 
Well, it's it's a it's a it's a trap basically that's set uh, in the sea in fixed net, uh, and it's a box that has a, 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 an opening, a door which goes into it. Yes. And there are three sections within that box. And the salmon are led into that box from what's called a leader. So this is a vertical uh, section of netting that the salmon see. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the inside end of the leader is fixed to the shore. Mm-hmm. So they can't go to the shore side of it. So they have to go out. So then they, they make their way into the box. And they, they work their way into the, the, the third inner chamber of the box. And when the, the, the top and bottom, this is shaped like a bit like a, an arrowhead. Yes. And when the, there's three poles at the three sort of corners of that, mm-hmm. that that hold the top and bottom separate in this box. And the when you're trying to fish the net, you work your way to the one side of the net and any fish or jellyfish or whatever else is in it, you work yeah. you you let release the poles, bring the top and bottom together yeah. and then work work over the net and like then a duvet. What, like a duvet. And then on the other side the bag billows out and if you could see me here just now, I'm <laughs> waving my hands round about <laughs> uh, trying to describe what it is. Yeah. Uh, but the bag billows out mm-hmm. uh, and that's what's the bag in the bag net. So what you do then is, in that bag, there is a, 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 a door that's sewn up. Yes. And you take the bag into the boat, undo the door, and mm-hmm. release the catch into the body of the boat. Right. Gosh, it's quite quite a procedure. Not easy with a rolling sea around you, I imagine, in any way. No, th- this is, a, this is um, fixed to the shore, uh, with chains and ropes onto pins that are on the rocks, put into the rocks. Yes. And then on the out uh, seaward side of that, there's maybe two anchors that are holding the the rest of the weight of the the net. And if you imagine the the pressure on the anchors and and the, the yeah. fixings, it's quite a lot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And and that's just if the net doesn't have anything to. If if the water is able to flow through it, so the net gets uh, polluted with uh, uh, seaweed. So you, yeah, it, you yeah. might imagine there's a big bank of seaweed gets trapped in the net. Sometimes yeah. there's, uh, depending on the time of year, there's jellyfish. So there would be red jellyfish as well, stinging jellyfish, which yeah. would all uh, 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 get trapped. Actually right inside the net so you need to try and get them out as well so it 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 was quite it's quite a tough thing to do yeah no two ways about it thank you very much that's very clear actually that's that's the clearest description i've heard of it so the family are in uh carsig and uh salmon netting that where did they go from there what 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 was the next step well they they one of the children had chicken pox or something or other like that at the pier cottage Mm. And so the, I can't, I, I don't know the whole story, but I think that the pier cottage was quite, uh, uh, it's close to the pier, there was a lot of activity around about there. Yes. So the, the state owner at that time said, no, you can't stay there. So they moved them over to Fjordland, which is uh, 
under the very, very steep bit as you come down the hill into Karsig, there's a house directly down below there. Yeah, very precip- precipitous. It's really difficult, yeah. So right down underneath that, there is a wee house there. So they got moved to Fjorland because one of the children had chickenpox, and I think they were scared of other yeah. children getting chickenpox or something like that. Yeah. So th- that's where they ended up, um, and that was where my mother was born, uh, and that was where the rest of the family were born. And so... After that, there was the opportunity for the lease of camas uh, fishing from the what was the Iona community. Gosh. And that was Lord George MacLeod. Yes. And uh, so that that was thought to be by my grandfather. It was thought to be a, a better opportunity. And I think the, the lease at Karsig, the owner of Karsig Estate thought that they could run the fishing at Karsig and make lots of money at it. So they've terminated the lease that my grandfather had had, just like that. And, nice. Uh, and it, of course it turned out that the landowner did have no clue about how to run salmon fishing. And <laughs> I think... The story was that they caught two fish the next year and one fish the year after, and then they gave up. Anyway, oh, for goodness sake, that was my grandfather out of fishing at Karsig, and they, he got the lease of Camas. And so then uh, he stayed in Karsig, and they traveled over to Camas, and they stayed, they lived in Camas. And they, they travelled back to Karsig at the weekend. And the folk that were fishing with my grandfather, there would be different people for helping. But but a lot of it was both my Auntie Anna and my Auntie Katie. So when they started off in Camas, uh, they were rowing round the nets. And so my grandpa would be on one oar. Yeah. And the, t- the two girls at that time, they would be uh, rowing with the other oar so there would be the three of them in the boat wow. and they would be working the nets with the three gosh and what um uh Karsig's well known for the, the the film i know where i'm going is that That's the right. period where the the family were there as well yes 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 my grandfather was the boatman <laughs> and i know where i'm going yes ah fantastic that's oh, brilliant gosh you see he, the state of the pier oh yeah he 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 I only found this out quite recently, but he 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 bought a motorboat uh, with the profit that he made from working on that film, and I think they had him away down <laughs> in Ealing Studios as well. Actually, oh, brilliant! I don't know whether it was to do with the editing or whatever, but he was out doing the work at Corivrechen and and involved with the, there was a number of boats involved in all of that but he was he was i think uh, if not the principal he was quite involved at that kind of level of being the boat person for that film there we go that's that's brilliant that's and have you seen it recently at all i think it's every christmas isn't it Ah, oh, lovely. <laughs> it's an odd film. I, I, I'm very fond of it. Uh, the first part is so ambitious and fun, and then the second part goes into kind of demure oh, stuff, and it's a bit, a bit more tame, but I like the invention of the first half. I think it's great fun. Mm-hmm. 
so how did your mum and dad meet then? Well, my mother trained to be a teacher. Right. So she, she was a, a, a career teacher. She went to school in Karsig, mm-hmm. uh and there was a, it would be called a side school, but yes. there was a there was a tiny school in Karsig, which was a, uh, in a tin shed, basically. We've got pictures of that. And um, most of the pupils were McInnes's, mm-hmm. uh, although there were a few other ones as well. But Karsig at that time, there was a, there was a number of families living on Karsig. The, the, there was a, the farm at the estate was a good going farm. I can remember as a tiny child going over to get milk from the dairy in Karsig. Really? Yep. Gosh. Yep. That's quite... I'm getting on now, but, well, but uh, you know, <laughs> you're not that old. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's so so that the the employed a lot of people, so there was a lot of a lot of bit, you know, a lot of traffic going on round about Karsig. But my mother uh, went to high school to Oban from Karsig. Right. Gosh, and, via uh, via Craigenure or from Karsig across? No, I think it would be. It, if it might be, it might have been Salon, actually, sometimes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, the, the old steamers across, yeah. Aye. But the, she would have to go over the hill and then get the bus up. Uh, and then she went to, to she went to teacher training college in Dundee. Mm-hmm. And then she she was a young teacher, mostly in Salon. So she taught right. a number of the folk that are round about the Salon area, and they still remember her well, actually. That's me. And my father uh, was a joiner, and he came to Mill from Stonehouse in Lanarkshire mm-hmm. uh, on a on a to to work for Kilchronan Estate, and at that time Kilchronan uh, built houses. They were a, a a building contractor as well, and they had a sawmill as well. Gosh, and uh, he came to to be the I don't know what it would have been, but it, he was basically running the the building side of what was Kilchron and the, uh, the the building side. So quite a few of the estate houses in over Kilchron and way still um, from that period. Oh yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I think they built all over. Actually, yeah. I think they built all over. Uh, it was a it was a I think general building contractor. That's brilliant. So he he was working there, um, as a joiner, as as a as a sort of foreman really of the whole building bit. Mm-hmm. And so he he lived in digs in Salon, and it happened to be the same digs that my mother was in. So <laughs> uh, so they got together, uh, and I think that my mother had been involved in teaching for quite a long time. So she. She she said she didn't think that she would be a very good wife because she'd never learned really to cook or to do any of that kind of stuff. But uh-huh. she said that my father still carried on, and she thought um, she took a bit of persuading. So that Fantastic. was quite funny. And can I ask, did your mum did she become a good cook? And um, no, not really. <laughs> she would always say that she she was she was a career teacher, yes. um, really, and. She she didn't ever really spend a lot of time. Um, I mean, people talk about the times that 
teachers have to spend out of the out of teaching now she yes. was a she ended up being the single teacher and head teacher effectively of Craig primary school and then and then uh, Pennygale primary school before mm. both of them were closed and there was a whole lot of work that that was done uh, yeah. after the all the kids went away all us kids disappeared yeah so did you go to school in uh, with your mum being your teacher yes that must have been yeah. quite <laughs> in a small community that must have been fairly tiresome i, I I I always knew it was going to happen. I, I think that I wasn't a very particularly well-behaved person at all. Being, I think I always uh, tried to get away with stuff that I shouldn't have done. I seem to remember getting <laughs> the strap quite a lot. But uh, <laughs> that's that's good quality education. That's what that is. <laughs> but my my mum and dad. So so my dad, he he had been in the marine reserves. Right. Uh, and for quite a long time, actually, and and he'd done all sorts of different stuff. But there was one exercise he was on when he he actually at that time they had the the, the showers after exercises had had steps in them, and he f- he slipped on soap. Oh, for God's in, sake! In one of the steps, and he damaged his back. Oh. And his back increasingly got sorer and sorer and sorer. So he he actually. Uh, Left Kilachronin and tried to set up on his own right. as a joiner. So he he got the use of the one of the barns at Torrissey. All right. And uh, so he he would be doing actually quite high class joinery stuff and yes. some quite bigger houses doing parquet floors and windows Ooh, and beautiful. he had all the the machinery to do it and the. He had quite a lot of experience doing that kind of stuff, but he could then set his own timetable rather than be according to somebody else's timetable because his back was bad. Yeah. But but we stayed first of all uh, in in Linny View actually. Where's that now? Uh, it's next to the Gleaner Station. Oh right. Okay. Oh gosh, at Craigenier. Yeah. So I was born in in Oban in the maternity hospital in Oban. Yes. Yeah. Um. Because even then, yeah, your pregnant mother's got taken to give birth yeah, in mainland. Definitely. And uh, and then we got we got moved mm-hmm. uh, from Linneview to one of the sort of I think it would be like the servants' quarters flats in Torrissey. I think it's now an office. So we were in the right down in the the mm. dungeons, if you like, in Torrissey Castle for a while as well. Gosh. And did you get to kind of roam around the grounds quite happily? Was there any kind yeah. of... Oh. Yeah, yeah, That yeah. must have been quite good fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a man there called John MacDonald. I always remember John MacDonald, and he was always great fun. He was our... There's there's the sort of servants' flats downstairs, yes. and he was an old man then, and he would he would always be good fun chasing us round about the place oh, so, and we would we would be out in among the gardens when 
you know, rolling down the banks and going through the statues. And I remember that. <laughs> That's brilliant, yeah. Staging your own versions of From Russia With Love at the start and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so there's eight in your mother's family from the generation before. So that means there's, there must have been dozens and dozens of cousins and siblings around. But yeah. How, yeah. What was that like, being part of a large network family? It was, yeah, it was great. Um, because... What what happened um, was that that my dad then went to work with my grandfather, uh, who was fishing at Camus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I would spend a lot of my summer at Camus because at that time we'd my mother then got uh, the job of the head teacher, the so, single teacher mm-hmm. at Craig Craig School. Right. So she was teaching at Cray School, and we all moved into the schoolhouse at Cray then. Okay. So there's me and my sister and my mum and dad. Uh, so so my dad then was, was fishing uh, with my my grandfather at Camus, which was very close. So I would be in Camus a lot in the summertime. Brilliant. In the holidays. Oh, that's, and, I mean, perfect and, place to be for a person, young person. Yeah. And, and there would be... A, different cousins as well so there'd be Sheena uh, yes. Sheena Turner as and or Sheena Walker mm-hmm. and Norma uh, so there's three three of us cousins from three different uh, uh, aunts and uncles if you like at the yeah. same kind of age so we would spend quite a lot of our time hanging about either at Camus or actually at Sheena's father's fishing which was at Kayach in, in Derbyk yes um Gus Stewart was with him when he was a young man as well, and uh, Gus has got some tales, I believe, of of fishing uh, with with Terry, which I'm yeah, hopefully catch one day. Aha! Gosh, ah, oh, that's that's great. Yeah, that's it's. I love that sense of families kind of being together and that's that sprachling across the landscape together, and you know, making your own stories together where your family have been before and before. It's just it's lovely. Georgia always says about because we live in the the middle of a, an abandoned settlement here. There's a an outcrop of rock, and she says she can always imagine little kids playing on that. The wee ones down yeah. the bottom, and the bigger ones up the top, and it's just yeah. that sense of this is you know if you were if you had the liberty to play, if you were allowed to play, my goodness, what a great place to to sprachle about and have fun. King of the castle. Totally. I'll be the dirty wee rascal. Um, But I, so from childhood, you've been away to uh, boat building, you've been away down south, you come back to uh, run the shop. The shop, obviously, uh, in Finnefer, was it the only shop in the town at the time? It was closed. It had been shut for two years. And you bought it Uh, back from the bank, yeah. It was was derelict inside. The, The folk that had had it most recently prior to that uh, hadn't I mean we hadn't run a shop before but <laughs> they they had not at all been prepared for being shopkeepers um, and they, they they didn't really get on with the folk uh, uh-huh. in, in the community well, that's and, a they, problem. And, they, and they told them that um, <sighs> and I think that there was various other personal things that was happening as well so um, the shop was was empty for two years. There wasn't even a post box in Finnefort for two years, um, and it had been the that's shocking the the, <laughs> the, the centre of the village. And, yeah. and in, in fact, I had worked when I was I don't know a summer job, thirteen or something or other, stacking shelves 
in there in that shop right uh, when i was just a young young fella so we okay. bought the shop uh, after various different uh, attempts at figuring <laughs> out how we might get back from southampton uh, to i was working i had been working in various different big boat yards and then i was working looking after running a, a what was actually it's a what's called a sheltered workshop for those that were less able to be working at 100% capacity. That's amazing. That, that must have been really enjoyable. That was really challenging um, <laughs> because, yep. Yeah. But, but I worked in, in fiberglass production yards and then I was working on a boat which was called Brave Challenger for about a year, which was when it was built in 1950s it was mm -hmm. the fastest boat of its size in the world it, it was powered by three gas turbine aeroplane engines oh, for, um, whoa that's ridiculous <laughs> so we came back to, we were trying to get back away from the south south was great to us it really was very good to us yeah. but we we're, we we're trying to think of ways that we could properly have a um, a bit more of a family a life. A bit more of a life, yeah. Yeah, you want you want to come home. That's the fundamental thing. Yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. I think the 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 roots were very strong. I think the, yeah. the, they were they were they were calling, and they'd been calling for a while. So we'd we'd tried to to look at various different um, <laughs> ploys to make enough money to survive yes. uh, which hadn't actually worked and then we were at home one new year time uh, we came, always came back for Christmas New Year or, or we'd swap it around about with Helensborough but uh, you know every time you go past the shop you know you, you would say oh it's a real shame the shop's not doing anything yeah. you know and everybody needs the shop and it was my dad that said well you know, you keep talking about it. Uh, everybody keeps talking about it. Nobody's going to do it. Why don't you do it? Brilliant. And so, um, so we did. Fantastic. And how long were you in the shop for? 25 years. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> That's a life sentence. <laughs> and did you enjoy um, it, mostly? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was postmaster for 25 years. Gosh, so you know, there's aspects of community life that you know very intimately, and um, well, let's let's without going into too much detail about the shop itself, let's go into the notion of community because so much of your work in your latter part of your career has been based around community and communities. So, what what is distinct about the community of the Ross of Mull? Would you say, or the communities more likely of the the Ross of Mull? Yeah, I think communities is right um, because I think that. Uh, Benesson is quite different to Finnefort, in fact. Very much and, so, yeah, very much uh, so. And Tobermory is quite different to Salon, and uh, it, different people have different attitudes in different places. So I think that, that, that what I've been involved in and was involved in when I was at the shop, but just didn't have all of the time to really get totally focused on it, was... The, the the more strategic kind of um, as, aspects of community and how we we try hard to to sustain our communities and how we can help to make them better really 
and and not just on Mull, but further away as well. That's yeah, that's the, the resilient communities is such an important thing because that hopefully allows for con- continuity of community. Can you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by making it resilient? What 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 are the ways that you found to make a community resilient? Well, I think that that I was involved right at the very beginning of the setting up of Mull and Iona Community Trust and I have been involved and deeply involved uh, since then. And the reason that it was set up was that there was a distinct uh, feeling of having been abandoned by authorities and government and local authorities or whatever it was. There was a distinct feeling of abandonment. I think that that came from from distance, from where the decisions were taken. Mm-hmm. It it came from the actually probably the abuse of power uh, yes. and the egos of people involved in making decisions. And what 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 the aspiration of the communities that all came together to say, well, you know, actually we're just not that pleased about the way things are let's try and do things for ourselves and by ourselves and getting help from other folk and i think that that if if we have the the ability and the capacity to make decisions at a more local level then that has to be one of the big aspirations because when we are in a pub, for example, and we're moaning in the pub about somebody ought to do this or somebody should fix this or yes. some, it's somebody else's fault. And actually, when it comes down to it, um, a lot of these things can be done by us ourselves. Yes. And since uh, the setup of the Community Trust uh, 22 years ago now, mm-hmm. A lot of the things that were on the the aspirational list of that uh, special edition of the Mulach that was sent round every single household, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they have been they've been delivered, and that's amazing. Think, uh, yeah, it is amazing. Uh, I think that the, the thing that that you're asking about what is it that makes folk resilient? I think it's it's the ability to be involved and the ability to be genuinely taking worthwhile decisions about the future of the community and with the intention of trying to make it a better place or keeping it as it is for those of your family and it could be the older generation of your family and also the younger generation of your family as well and trying to to imagine how uh, the kind of decisions that you're able to influence or take or actually deliver uh, can actually uh, keep things to be a, a, a worthwhile place for folk to live or aspire to live. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's very, very clear. So MECT is one very obvious, uh, you've obviously worked with MECT, but you've also worked with uh, a, a an organisation which is a national organisation but community based and, and a life saving basis as well and a sort of practical day to day basis. Can you could you talk a little bit about that as well if that's possible? 
Uh, uh, you mean in the Coast Guard? Aye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, yeah. Um, what is the role of the Coast Guard? So we, the RNLI is fairly obvious here. Uh, you know, we can see them out in a shout quite regularly. But what does the Coast Guard do in a, on a coastal community such as this? Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, the, the 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 Coast Guard is funded as part of the 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 government structure. It's a it's a part of a Department of Transport, and as such, it doesn't need to do the kind of publicity things that the RNLI have to do to For sustain fundraising, their yeah, totally. fundraising. The, all of what the RNLI deliver is delivered through their own fundraising efforts, which is absolutely staggering. Yeah. And the Coast Guard is a statutory thing. And actually, uh, we are, I am a, a volunteer with the Coast Guard, yes. and there are three and a half thousand folk like me around about the coast of Britain, uh, and we are, as local Coast Guard, we are the the if the the first line of, if you like, defence, uh, because it would be the Coast Guard that you would phone. The Coast Guard then make the decisions from the central. Uh, coordinating centres and there's a big centre in, in Stornoway and a big centre in Belfast those yes. are the two that are round about here yeah. so if you see somebody in 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 problems to do with round about the coast or in the water then you phone the Coast Guard and the Coast Guard in those places they coordinate the rescue or, or the possible rescue of whoever it is that's in trouble and the Coast Guard they, can be reached on 999, is that right? Absolutely, yep. Yeah. Yep, you just phone 99, ask the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard in the coordinating centres then deploy different assets. So right now we've got the, the RNLI is actually one of the assets that might be requested to attend. So they would say, okay, well, we've got a boat that's sinking uh, uh, there, there's a report of a boat that's sinking, so we're going to send uh, a helicopter, which will be a Coast Guard helicopter, yes. or they would request uh, an, an RNLI lifeboat to attend. Yes. If that sinking of the vessel is close to the shore, they would also probably deploy uh, Coast Guard shore teams, coastal yes. teams like, like us, so that we could go and observe and actually uh, possibly... Uh, transmit or or exchange uh, communication. If communication doesn't work, then we can be brought in to do that. We can put up vehicles with high aerials and things like that to be able to do that. But as a team here, we're one of three teams on Mull, and we are a cliff rescue team mm-hmm. with with the capability of of uh, going down cliffs that are 200 metres, or ropes are 200 metres oh, long. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> um, we've all got um, first aid qualifications, and actually there's another first aid weekend course uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Right. We've got equipment that allow us to go into shallow water and actually possibly even swim, because we've got dry suits and wading suits to be able to recover somebody that's stuck in a rock, for instance. Yes, yeah. Um, we've we've got radios, VHF radios, and are trained to use them so we can talk to vessels particularly, or the helicopters. We land the helicopters for uh, uh, medical 
evacuation for um, helimeds, whether yep. it's the, the big helicopters, yep. they might be involved with winching. So we're trained in how to assist with the winching. We're trained in searching, and that's going to become more and more important so yeah. that the if somebody is, is a missing person, whether they are uh, injured or vulnerable or uh, ill, Mm-hmm. Then uh, we're trained in how how to coordinate the searches and and the kind of patterns that depending on the kind of um, category that the missing person fits into, then we're trained to to operate in different ways. And so it, it's it's a big task. It's a big role. We've also got navigation equipment. We're trained in how to navigate at night with maps and compasses and and GPSs and That's, all sorts of different things. It sounds brilliant. It sounds like a boy's own adventure. <laughs> it's just amazing. I'll land the helicopter, you get the lifeboat. It's just, wow, it's remarkable. I'm right in remembering as well that you um, also coordinate helicopters during election time as well. Um... Yeah, that, that does actually happen. Hmm. Uh... I'm just having a little minute here because uh, it's actually 20 years ago, I think, to the day. You're saying it sounds like a boy's own adventure. This is extraordinary, but, but obviously but, very serious as well. But just to put it into context, it's 20 years ago to the day that the that the dinghy capsized on the way back from Finnefort to Iona and four young men drowned. Yes. And that was that was 20 years ago. And uh, as a co- I, I was in the Coast Guard team then. I've been in the Coast Guard for 30 years now. Um, and we, we were out searching and trying to recover yes. the, the bodies of those young, young men. men. Yeah. And um, there, there was a survivor, though. Pal survived, didn't he? Yes, one, one out of the five survived. Yeah. No, that's something like that leaves a, a very tangible legacy on on a community as well. I remember going to Iona. Um, I think it was a couple of years later on, and I'd, I was working with Chinese uh, students from Edinburgh University who'd come across for the summer. And the person I was there with, uh, super, who was the supervisor of everything, had been part of the island community at the time, uh, the, the Iona community at the time, and she was able to talk about it. And yeah, it's oh, it's just, yeah, a truly significant event. So that was just a little hesitation there. I didn't quite... No, um, no, of it course. just sort of came back and hit me square in the forehead, actually, when you were saying... yeah. No, that's brilliant. I mean, that's to have those skills and to save lives is the, is the thing. That's extraordinary. Well, thank you, Sandy. You're talking about the, the stuff that we do in the wintertime and, and that the questions that we would get in the shop this was a perpetual question it, the 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 questions the pr- principal question was when's the next ferry where's the toilet and when's the next bus <laughs> uh, and and then they would say and 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 and, and what happens here in the winter time you know 
and and what do people do here? And and it was, and you always had to. I mean, you're dealing with a customer or a potential customer, and you had to. You had to keep a straight face, and you had to be respectful of the the potential pound that you're trying to get out of their pocket. Yeah. But actually, folk just have no concept about what happens in communities, and we're talking about pipe band, and. In the pipe in the pipe band calendar, the summertime is really busy when we perform and we play, yeah. and we are now playing something approaching forty gigs in the season. Goodness me! Um, and that's a huge commitment. But in the winter time, when we're not performing, we are uh, practicing, learning new tunes, new sets, uh, teaching children to be able to play their their tenor drum or their chanter or whatever and all of that kind of stuff happens in the winter time because it couldn't happen in the summertime because we are performing similarly when we're uh, you know the 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 busyness that the sort of conference season and the training aspects whether it's within communities or whether it's within business it, it will happen principally in the winter time so there'll be all these digital courses for the B&B folk to be able to be able to do their Facebook better and yeah, there'll yeah. be yeah. other kind of training for other organisations that happen in the wintertime. So wintertime is is not really uh, a time for sitting Repose. back. It's a time for <laughs> catching up. I mean, yeah. today I was trying to change two ceiling fans in the bathroom that were squealing for ages and ages that I never ever got a chance to do in the summertime because we're yeah. so busy with Coast Guard and Pipe Band. Yeah, and I know that you've interviewed uh, Morvan yes, uh, yeah. earlier on as well, and I I have to say that I really have I have listened to a few now of the podcasts, and I really really am enjoying them because <laughs> uh, we we Alistair as we would have called him, uh, yes, um, yeah, and he would have been involved with the salmon fishing up at the north end. It was Uncle Ped, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then. Morvan has been a big part of what we've been involved with, either through working in the shop and now being such a fantastic amazing. Uh, manager of that organisation, which spun out from Molineona Community Trust because that was yeah. a that was a similar to what you were doing yourself because you yeah. were a you were a development officer at one point. Indeed, yes, yeah, yeah, and and, and remain firmly uh, committed to those principles. I must admit, and yeah, I think that's that's it. It's this sense of self determination. That's the community of the Ross of Mull seeking self determination within the larger community of the islands of Mull and Iona. And uh, yeah, so that's 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 um, Ross of Mull and Iona seeking their own self determination. And there'll be further self determination for Iona, rightly so, and like all everywhere else. It's um. Yeah, it's it's an interesting time to be involved in community endeavours, it must be said. It's great. Well, Sandy, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you want to say before you dash off? Uh, I think that you've... I mean, there's so many things. I, I just... I was tr- reflecting this morning of the the time that, that we did... We worked very hard at trying to to sustain a chamber of commerce on Mull and Georgia, your wife yes. was so hard working at that yeah. time and, and I I just wanted to wish you all very well for your Christmas and and it it uh, it yeah. uh, 
it was just bringing back all sorts of memories, traveling about and going to trying to yeah. get folk to pull together to be able to, because actually we are far far stronger together um, in whatever context we are. So we need to just remember that and 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 try to work towards that. There's certainly a lot to talk about there. Thank you very much, Sandy. That is great. Cheers. Okay. Good luck with the editing. Thank you so much, Sandy. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. One thing which I've not included in the podcast is a conversation we had after the recording about Sandy and Jane's children and how they're all up to such interesting things, pursuing all sorts of fantastic projects, studies and schemes. Sandy's obvious pride in his family was really beautiful to hear, and I hope that I get a chance to chat to some of the next generation of the Brunton family in the near future. If you're interested in any of the topics covered in this episode, you can find a host of links and images on our website on whatwedointhewinter.com. Sandy has given me lots of photos to include, which bring to life the salmon fishing at Camus. So thank you again, Sandy. If you're on Twitter, I'll be tweeting from the Highlands and Islands Voices account from from the 6th of January for a week. I'll be sharing tales from the podcast, recommending books and other podcasts, and chatting to people about their communities too. Come and say hello if you like. The account can be found on at hi underscore voices. It's always interesting to hear what people have to say on that account. I really like it. Thank you again to Hilda and the team at www.islandholidaycottages.com for their support in sponsoring this episode of the podcast. And thank you too to Island Bakery for their lemon melts, which every participant receives for taking part. As I said earlier on, if you want to take part in the podcast survey to help me understand how you use and relate to what we do in the winter, I'd be really grateful. You can find a link to the survey in the text that accompanies this episode on our website and through social media. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So, if you feel like it, and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee or even a packet of drill and a nice bit of cuttlefish wherever you may be through the website. You'll see a donate tab there, where you can donate if you so wished. But don't worry if you can't or you don't want to. I'd much rather you listened than you didn't. If you wanted to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen to this podcast, please feel free. I'd really appreciate that. And on that note, thank you to Alan, Alistair and Duncan for your donations. Your support is very, very much appreciated. And thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's always wonderful to hear from you and say hi in the street. Thank you. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and I suppose Instagram, but I really don't know what I'm doing there. I'll get on top of it someday. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More than thing, shenoo.